Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with Everyday Artist. Today I have two guests. They are a husband and wife team named John and Megan Schmidt. You can see pictures and their Facebook contact on my website, brentwatkinson.com. And please remember to click that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast. And of course, subscribing is free. A few years ago, they began discussing the idea of running a food truck together and ultimately took the giant leap towards realizing that goal. John and Megan are both trained chefs and have worked for many years in the fine dining industry, both of them performing just about any and every job in that realm. John is the executive chef for a large retirement community, and recently Megan stepped back from her chef duties to run the food truck business full-time. This podcast deals with the subject in two distinct articulations of the restaurant and food truck businesses. The two parts are interwoven in the conversation, and they ultimately illustrate their love and passion for the food industry in both the brick-and-mortar restaurant portion and the mobile food truck portion as well. The mental game of executing their craft at the highest level and the tasks associated with it are an important part of the conversation as well as their descriptions of the cooperation and deep camaraderie that goes along with much of the food business. I really love the descriptions they give of working in the food truck, preparing menu items that they have personally devised, all the while, and I quote here, blasting classic rock and roll, unquote, to the people enjoying the fruits of their love and labor at one of their many food truck events. As I mentioned, their last name is Schmidt, and their food truck business name is Eat Schmidt. Yes, Eat Schmidt. Insert your own jokes here, as they carefully decided to use that name purposefully and fully embrace the connotations. Eat Schmidt. Let's get into it. John, how did you get into the food truck business? Well, my, uh, my wife and I are both professional chefs, and we have probably almost 30 years of experience in commercial kitchens, high-end country clubs and restaurants. We just started talking about it five years ago, and one thing led to another. We went through, we had a, about a two-year period where it's funny how life kind of deals you a hand that you didn't really expect it. Um, we bought a house, moved, had to renovate the whole house. Um, I switched jobs and then we had our son, Wilson. We'd been talking about it for almost five years and then all of a sudden we were like, when Wilson was a little before he was two, we, just, we were like, we're ready. And we felt confident because we've been in this industry so long that we weren't just gonna get housed and financially and sink a bunch of money into a losing proposition. And so once we made that decision, um, it took about a year, went and I did all the work. I literally built the truck from scratch. We bought an old 1993 Ameripride delivery truck 
it had been sitting in a barn in Rossville, Kansas for about five years, but it was just a truck. So then we figured out what kind of kitchen we wanted to put into it. And it took me about 10 months using every uh, waking moment of, uh, I would get up before work at five in the morning sometimes, put in a couple hours, come home after work. I work for a British company, so I have five weeks of vacation a year. And I used wow, up. nice, nice. And I used probably 90% of that vacation. <laughs> We're not wealthy. We could not have done this otherwise had I not done the work. People sink 50, 60, 100 plus thousand dollars into these trucks. To buy a, an already functioning working food truck or just? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, so I could, I could uh, go down the street and buy a food truck tomorrow if I had the money? Mm-hmm. Okay, but, but you bought basically a blank slate and built your dream kitchen that, that you and Megan had, had envisioned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we planned it out, we drew all the schematics out, and then I painted it out in Manhattan at our in-laws. Uh, they have a very large climate-controlled building that used to be a plumbing shop, and I did all the painting myself, and then we brought it up here and it just started on it. Thank God for my father-in-law. He can literally, um, he can fix anything, and if between the two of us, we couldn't figure it out, we would go talk to somebody, but I did construction and um, carpentry, and, and so I knew how to sweat pipes and do plumbing and basic electrical. I'd done that when I was in college in the early 90s, and so I was able to use that experience and fill in the gaps. You know, if, if there was something I didn't know, I would, you know, I had the wonderful tool, the internet. I mean, there's a YouTube video and there's tons of forums and blogs. And uh, so I just kind of figured it out at a piece at a time and then um, assembled the entire truck. And it took about 10 months. The best part of that story to me is the fact that, yes, you built it. And now if there's a maintenance problem or something breaks, which it always does, you're the guy that built it. So now you can fix it. Yeah, it, it, it's your work. So you know exactly what's behind that cupboard or underneath the stove or whatever. So that's a huge advantage, I think. Oh, it's, it's beyond huge. And I'm a pretty fair mechanic and so is my father-in-law. And so we do all of the 99% of the automotive repair on it. And like you said, stuff breaks. It's a 1993 Chevy Grumman food truck with 217,000 miles on it. <laughs> wow. You and your wife, both professional chefs, you could have just opened a restaurant instead of a food truck. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a restaurant is an incredible time commitment, especially from, it, from an ownership perspective. And if you're gonna run it and own it, your life is gonna be centered around your restaurant. You're gonna spend probably conservatively 80 hours a week. We have a, we have a saying in the restaurant industry, um, liquor has legs. Food has legs too. The margins of profit are so small in the industry that it's not a joke to say that literally like every penny counts. For a dollar of sales, you figure you wanna run about 30% food cost and then the other 60% is for fixed and variable costs, which I won't bore you with all that, but just think labor, overhead, um, insurance, cost of your food, all of that takes and that's a pretty accurate, regardless of what kind of restaurant it is. And, you know, a good restaurant on a dollar of sale is making between 10 and maybe 25 cents profit. 
maybe. One of my questions that I wanted to ask you, and you've already answered it actually, was I go up to your food truck and I get my beautiful thing that I've ordered and it's resting in some kind of little container and it's got some paper under it and then maybe I have some potato salad in another container and I've got a plastic fork and you've pretty much told me that what I'm eating is about 30% and in the rest of it is all the ancillary products, all the things like napkins and paper and, and, and as you said, labor also. But uh, in a food truck, you are the labor. So that's, I mean, you have to count that. That's really fascinating to me that, that the product is 30% of the budget. We have in the industry what's called, we, it's called a menu mix. And <clears throat> we actually went through and we priced out all of our menu items. You and called it a menu mix? Mm-hmm. The menu mix is you can have an item that's really popular on your menu that you're not making as much money on it, but it's very popular. So you will offset that by having an item that doesn't cost as much to balance it out. So like, like if, you go to, if you go to a steakhouse and you buy a six ounce filet, they're probably gonna run about in the neighborhood of 50% food cost is what it's gonna cost them to put that plate with the two sides in front of you. If your restaurant runs at 50% food cost, you're gonna be out of a job real quick. You, you, I mean, that's the economics of it don't work because you're out of that 30%, you know? And so, but if you order an airline chicken breast with two sides, well, the food cost on that may be 18%. And so it will balance out the chicken, the lower cost of the chicken entree will balance out the higher cost of the filet, if that makes sense. So our menu mix, you know, maybe, um, we can do something like say our Korean beef wrap that costs us a little bit more and we don't make as much money. It's balanced out with things like root beer floats or the million dollar tater tots. That makes good sense. And you have to have, I I like the word menu mix. You have to have a mix of things to appeal to different people and different budgets. And then inside of all of that, then it's working within the economics that, that you just set forth with us the margins are, are, are very tight because like you said, all those things, the, all the disposables, the baskets and the, the brightly colored deli paper and the disposable flatware, the forks and the spoons and factor all that in and the oil for your fryers and the multi-quat sanitizer you have to have and the sanitizer strips to be compliant with the health department propane and class K fire extinguishers and class C fire extinguishers, you know, liability insurance for a $1 million aggregate policy costs us about $1,000 a year up front just for liability insurance to be able to go to events. Wow. Not including we have, we have obviously, we have to have the truck insured every state that you're going to operate in requires a health permit and an inspection. And those are usually about $350 a year per state. So we're, we're living here on the border of Kansas and Missouri. Can you take your truck and go to Missouri tomorrow? Because we got a late start, we didn't get out and operate. Um, our first event was in April this year. We did not, we made a conscious decision not to, um, start in Missouri this year because of how the licenses, they run from basically March 1st to December, uh, February 28th, the following year. And 
we had enough stuff booked in Kansas. We had a full slate. We decided that we are going to get licensed in Missouri next year. And so, so as long as you have the license, you can do that. And if you thought, oh, gee, let's go to Nebraska too. So as long as you have a license in that state, then you can go wherever you need to go. Yes. Well, yes and no. That will allow you to operate within the confines of the state. But then the regulations vary from every county and municipality. You may have to have a business license in every single county you operate in, which is another chunk of change. Some counties have one day temporary permits that allow you to do that. The local and state agencies have figured out that the food trucks are a bit of a cash cow for them. It gets more expensive every year. I know many truckers and again, that's why the margins are so important because people don't realize the, the huge expense it takes to get started. Once you're up and running, then you can start offsetting that, but it requires a pretty decent outlay of, of, of money and capital just to get where you're ready to operate. When I'm telling you all these like regulations and things, I certainly would never want to discourage anybody ever from following their dream and doing this because the neatest thing, I remember how good Megan and I felt when we were at the Tulip Festival and we had a line of 50 people and we were just getting our butts kicked and we were just cooking. <laughs> we were blasting classic rock and roll and we were having fun. And that was kind of the whole point we got into it. We wanted, we met working in a professional kitchen when we were in culinary school years ago. And as our career paths kind of diverged and we went different directions and weren't working together anymore, we'd always missed that the camaraderie and the, it's a unique, if you've never worked on a, an a la carte line, people don't think about it, but when you go into a restaurant, there's some poor cook, usually it's, pr it's probably not the executive chef, on the hotline waiting for your ticket to come in and they're gonna cook your food. And there's a unique camaraderie that you gain working with people, spending hour after hour, day after day, getting your butts handed to you cooking but it's it's one of the neatest things you can ever do um, i'm sure their experience is very similar in other industries but my wife and i had wanted to get back and do that you know we wanted to wear our eat schmidt t-shirts and shorts and a t-shirt and blast rock and roll and cook and have fun that was that moment we were like wow at the tulip festival we we're like wow we can do this you know like <laughs> it's a reality you know to take a dream that started five years ago with just a, a dream and to see it, you know, come to fruition, it, it's, it's pretty rewarding. It's pretty cool. Um, Did you guys both realize at the same time that that was happening? That it's just like, oh my gosh, we did it. Look, we're having the time of our life and we're listening to this loud music and we got all these hungry people and we're going to satisfy them and we're having fun and we're working our butts off. I mean, did you just kind of give each other glances out of the corner of your eye and smile or how did that come about? Or did you talk about it later? No, we, uh, we looked up and the ticket wheel that's above the hotline had about 20 tickets, um, hanging and we were just, we were rolling. We run our truck with just, it's just the two of us. And because we've got enough experience, we can, we're pretty fast. We really work well together because we've done it so much in the past, it makes it easy for us to hop into our truck, 
she runs the window, picks up the desserts, and does all the drinks, and then helps out with certain things. And then I do, I run the hotline, and then sometimes, you know, we'll switch back and forth. But because we've done this for so long, if that makes any sense, that there are, it just enables us to do what would take people that hadn't worked in professional kitchens. They would need more people. But yeah, right in the middle of it, we looked at, we looked at each other and we kind of laughed. We were like, wow, like, you know, this is real. Like we can do this. And, you know, this hasn't been just a gigantic waste of time. And that was the second day of our first event. It's a tough road to get there, um, but it makes it, I think it's even more rewarding because we did all the work, you know, ourselves and it's our truck and it's our business and it's our LLC and it's us together. It's Megan and, and myself. And, and it's something that we'll give to our son. You know, if he's interested when he's older, he'll get the keys to the business. And, you know, we want to grow it and fran you know, grow, get it, get another truck. And, um, but you know, we'll take that if and when we're successful enough, we're going to concentrate on our current truck right now before we, but that's the, you know, the long-term goal. Yeah. So how often does this incredible camaraderie take effect with people working in kitchens together? I mean, does it, every kitchen in town has that, or is it special when that happens? You know, that's, well, there is a unique shared burden um, that line cooks and especially, you know, like career line cooks that y you develop it, but it helps if, you know, if you love the person you're with or you're with your good friends, there's that, that added level of connection. And until you've stood on a hotline and had that, the POS printer, which can be your nemesis when it just starts. <laughs> <laughs> POS meaning point of sale printer where the person in the front of the house types in, this is the order, you know, hamburger and shake. And then it comes back to you and you rip it off and say, all right, here we go. This is our, I mean, is that what you're talking about? Okay. Yes. Yep. The point of sale, you know, POS also is another acronym. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you're, when your ticket wheel, which is a three foot uh, length of steel with uh, that you hang your tickets on when it's completely full and the POS printer is still spitting out tickets and you've got a eight foot length of tickets hanging on the floor that you haven't even got to. And you're able to, you know, work through that and crank the food out. And, you know, by the time you're done, you're just, you're literally like you've sweat through your chef's coat and you're just beat, but you're feeling good because you did your job. And it's, it's, it's a unique experience. It's, a sense of accomplishment, no doubt. Yes. A sense of, oh man, we're just glad this is over. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of relief also. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. We laugh. I mean, I'm in my mid forties and uh, my wife is substantially younger than me, but we, we laugh, you know, it gets more difficult, you know, um, every year to get just pounded on the line because, you know, your knees get a little worse and your back gets a little creakier, but we have fun with it and it, and it makes it all worthwhile. What's the mental game like in the food truck or the kitchen in the food business? I mean, wh where does your head need to be? What, it, are you, what are you thinking about or what are you not thinking about? 
Well, it's uh, multitasking is probably the the most important thing. It's when we're when we're busy and the tickets are coming in. It's all about you know when we're in our truck, we have four burners, a four foot flat top, and a fryer, and it's just being able to hold those tickets um, in your head and figure out what sequence you have to do. You know whether it's you know whether you're frying the buttermilk chicken tenders or whether it's toasting the buns or you know, you need to get this breakfast quesadilla down and it's just, it's figuring out what sequence to do things and then being able to do it in a really fast order. And when you're in a zone, you're not really having to think about it, you're just doing it. It's just muscle memory and that's, when you're doing it like that, that's when it's the most fun, when you're just, it's all natural and you don't really have to think, but if you're not focused and you have to think about every single thing that you're trying to do, it's a nightmare. Do you ever use I think the term is cybernetics. Like when you were first starting out, did you lay in bed at night and cook all these things in sequence in your head? <laughs> or is it just the act of doing it so many times so much that it just becomes, you know, well, like you said, muscle memory? People do it differently. Megan is much more natural at it and fluid at it than, than I was. I've always had to kind of work at it to get to where I was pretty competent at it. And so, at first it was it was you had to consciously think of what you were doing you know okay so like you know i need to put this i need to get three pans going for the broccolini you know the burblanc and whatever got to get the pans down got to pull the scallops pull the scallops pull the tuna season and after doing that and having to think about it for a while it just it does just become natural there's a saying it's called don't get your foot caught in the bear trap and it's when you're cooking and you get so overwhelmed it's like you have a foot caught in a bear trap and you're just standing there and you're kind of going back and forth with that foot glued to the ground because you're uh, you're going down in flames because you don't know where to go next so you're not really doing anything productive you're just doing useless things that look like you're busy yes or even worse you're frantically kind of turning back and forth looking around trying to figure out what you need to do and uh, when you're in the bear trap, it's, it's pretty tough to get out of it. I know exactly what that's like in, from my own standpoint from a painter because there's many times where I'll be working on a painting and then I'll kind of shake my head and wake up after an hour or 10 minutes or whatever it is and I'll think, I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I mean, I'm putting paint on the canvas, but I'm not fixing any problems or I'm not moving forward with what I need to be doing. There's another term that's called licking you're just licking the canvas at that point because you're you're getting nothing done but boy oh boy are you busy so that's so your version of that is getting your foot caught in the bear trap that's pretty interesting <laughs> and yeah and you know if you're set up i mean after after you get to a point where you've done it enough times and you know what you're doing and you know how to do it if you get in and your truck is all set up it doesn't matter how many tickets are going to come in or how much business you're going to do if you if you if you set yourself up for success as like we like to say it if you're prepped up you're ready to go your truck is all set up it's pretty easy then and that's when it's fun when when you're just cooking and listening to music and not thinking and you're cranking out really good food and you see the enjoyment that people derive from it and the smiles i mean that that, that sounds cliche but if you don't take pride and you're not trying to put out the best food that you can and you probably shouldn't be cooking and 
you know, that's just my two cents on that. Megan and I both came from a fine dining and ultra fine dining background where everything was done from scratch. Soups, stocks, demi-gloss, every, um, steaks, everything was hand fabricated, you know, done from scratch. And we've always brought that with us throughout our careers. I'm the executive chef at a pretty large retirement community. And one of the things that I had to do when I got there was I wanted to overhaul I mean, that kitchen and make it like past kitchens that I had worked at where we made everything from scratch. And because the, the, the difference is it's very evident in the quality of the product. And that was a big thing that we wanted to be able to do with our truck. We wanted to do our menu, do our food, and we were going to do it right. And we we're going to do it from scratch. Where do the menu items come from? Obviously, they come from the two of you, but what what's your thinking of what to produce? And the second part of that question is, do most food trucks have a niche market? I mean, there's taco trucks, there's hot dog trucks, there's whatever. So I guess my first question is, how did you decide what you wanted to serve? You're absolutely right. Most trucks w would fall into a specific niche, um, whether it's a specific ethnic cuisine or, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a theme or barbecue or something along those lines. We don't have a specific niche. We just, our menu is collaborative. We will sit around the dinner table and we'll bounce ideas off of each other. Maybe it's something that a trend, we saw an article in a magazine or something on the internet. It's something that we wanted to do that was new. I'm sure you've eaten at a lot of food trucks. It seems like you go there and you stand in line for a long time. The lines aren't moving and the food, some of it's good and some of it's not. You know, We wanted to do you know, really good food from scratch, but we also want it to be fast. And that's that experience on those hotlines, you know, where it's just bam, 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 bam. Ticket in, food out. Our goal, and we don't always hit it, because, <laughs> um, you know, some days you're a little creakier than others, but we wanted to run four-minute tickets max from when the ticket comes in to when we get the food for that ticket out the window. That seems insanely fast, really fast. It's a pretty ambitious time frame, and we certainly don't always hit it. How a service goes a lot of times is predicated on how the tickets come in. If we're getting two or three tickets come in and we push the food out and then two or three more come in and it just goes like that and it's slow and steady, that's easy. But if all of a sudden you get a dozen tickets that, and you have 48 items and it all comes in in a five minute time period, you're probably not gonna hit your four minutes because you're just, you're gonna be backed up and it's gonna take a little bit. It's kind of our menu is all, it's a work in progress where the items that we put on there, we spend a decent amount of time talking about how we're going to execute them, how we're going to, and when I say execute, I mean from like, perfect example, we have a Philly cheesesteak hot dog on there right now. If I get two of those that come in on a ticket, we have New England lobster roll um, buns. Throw them on a flat top and some butter on one side. You've got to toast both sides. We keep the hot dogs warm on the stove in a Bay Marie um, in chicken stock. And so you've got to grab both hot dogs, 
throw them on the griddle to put some color on them while you're toasting your buns. We have red and green bell peppers and onions. We've already pre-cooked them, but we hold them cold. We got to throw that on the flat top to get that hot. We put a little bit of bacon on it so the bacon gets thrown on the flat top. We hold a homemade cheese sauce with turmeric and fennel in it to give it a little bit of color and pop. And that execution is getting from when that ticket comes in, getting those Philly dogs finished, put together and put into a basket and out the window what the steps are to execute it. Every item that we have on our menu, we have talked about and um, things that have been on the menu for several months, we have probably modified how we pick that item up to make it more efficient. Do you think it's possible to be too creative in your menu items? Can you, I mean, if you just thought of some, (laughs) (laughs) okay, I don't need to explain myself because you're laughing already. So talk to me about that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, uh, the more steps it takes to assemble one item, it's going to, it's going to slow everything down. So there has to be some uh, common sense and, you know, there has to be a limit, you know, maybe you have, yeah, you can have one item or two that are a little more complicated, but if you overcomplicate everything, if you've got, if it takes 12 steps to put one sandwich together, you're going to kill yourself you're going to be dragging on your tickets, you know, and your people are going to be mad. And it's the food truck. It's about being fast because if you go to a food truck festival and you're looking over there and you're standing in line waiting for your food and it's been 20 minutes and that line at that truck is moving fast and people are walking out with these baskets of this awesome looking food, where are you going to go? You're going to go over there, you know? And I mean, it's time is money. I know that's cliche, but you know, we have to approach it because when we started this, we both worked full-time. We were both working full-time. So you were doing the food truck part-time in the, on the weekends or something? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. But our goal was that we were going to build it. We were going to take the leap and get it to where I was going to keep my job and Megan was going to leave her job and run it full-time. And we were able to do that this summer. Um, and so, but with that, you know, you have to think of it that your time is money. You know, if it takes me eight hours to prep for an event that we make $200 at, well, if you think about it, after we take out all the expenses and then take away eight hours of time that could have been dedicated to something else, that wasn't, that's not a real profitable event. So in terms of a restaurant, maybe, and you guys correct my vocabulary, do you consider the the food truck to have a front of the house and back of the house? Definitely. <laughs> I think so. From from my position, I think so. Are you the front of the house? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which means basically what? I am interacting more with the customers and taking care of those duties, collecting the money, um, taking the orders, handing out the drinks. Okay. And John is in the back of the house slaving away on the what did you call it the hotline <laughs> yeah okay yeah. yeah he's making the food and he does have a little bit of front of the house exposure because he's serving the food out of his side of the window or out of the truck do you ever switch off we have not yet it's uh, we've got our system down right now so if we come across a slower event i've definitely asked to get on that hotline okay <laughs> um are you now you're both chefs and were you is it based on french cooking or 
how do they train chefs these days? What kind of superlatives do they use? Well, we we were very blessed that we ended up at the Kansas City Country Club to do our um, our chef apprenticeship. We both went through the culinary school out at Johnson County Community College. What is unique about that program is it's an actual apprenticeship program where you work full-time in a professional kitchen and go to school full-time for three years. You have to complete, how many is it, 6,000? 6,000 hours. 6,000 documented hours in a kitchen while you go to school and carry a full load for three years. And so that's why the attrition rate was like, I started out with almost 200 people in my class and I think, what, 14, 13 graduated. Wow, um, I, ha- I had no idea. Um, that <laughs> I, It's probably easier to be a doctor, I guess. I'm not really sure. <laughs> the program definitely teaches you what it's gonna be like in the future. It's not just Food Network. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it and working the 40 hours plus the full-time in school really teaches you this is what it's going to be like and get out now if you don't want to want this. Not to be a name dropper, but I'm going to drop names anyway. Anthony Bourdain talked about that a lot. He talked about the, the, the difficult side. And like you said, no, this isn't a bunch of pretty people walking around on the Food Network. This is down in the trenches, you know, tough, really hard work. Kitchen Confidential was definitely one of my favorite books Uh, and it's awesome that he brought light to that because I don't think a lot of people understand that. I know when I was going through school there were a lot of people in the pastry program and taking the baking classes that were so excited you know making cakes and there's people out there that oh I can cook at home people love my pies I'm gonna start a restaurant and it's not like that at all there's so much that goes into it that I think a lot of people don't understand so I was talking to John about his mental game in the in the back of the house so what is your mental game you're in the front you're dealing with you know people that are hot and tired and and whatever and happy and and hungry? I feel it's a little harder than when I used to cook um, because you have to put on the face that the customers want to see and you have to keep in your mind what all you need to do next. So I need to make this root beer float and I need to take this person's order and um, the tickets are lagging a little bit so I need to jump over there and see what he needs help with. So it's keeping the happy-go-lucky face on as well as keeping straight what all you have to do next which can be difficult (laughs) so so what kind of things can you do to help John like if he gets backed up just because there's so many people I mean can you go back and throw something on a flat top or can you make a sauce or yeah um, so we communication is definitely key in the restaurant industry Um, so we're always talking um, this is what you've got on the board all day, which means how many of each item is coming up. And so I'll give him an all day on what he's got. I will make the uh, baskets. So we serve all of our sandwiches with our home fried kettle chips and I'll make the baskets for him, set in um, either ranch or salsa if we're doing any dishes that need those, um, throwing stuff in the fryer, helping him out with that kind of stuff. 
So when he's ready to put those kettle chips in there, he can just grab that basket that you've already assembled and put the product in there with whatever else the customer wants. Exactly. Okay. So um, how many times have you uh, bumped into each other and put a knot on your head? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've actually, our record is pretty good in the food truck, um, but we, uh, we worked together at the Kansas City Country Club for, gosh, how many years? Three, four years? But our, our record at the club was pretty high of bumps and bruises. He, uh, we would work different stations, so he would be on either the saute station and I would be on the grill or vice versa. And I remember one time we had a pizza oven that was 400, 500 degrees and- 550. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. I was bending down to either get the pizza out, put it in, something like that. And here comes this six foot seven man running down the hotline to give our cold side probably chicken or something that he was grilling for them and bam he hit me and i went into that pizza oven oh i still gosh. have a little scar <laughs> you know so we we've definitely wow. improved since those days <laughs> yeah i i forgot to, to paint the image of six foot seven john in the kitchen of a food truck now it's it's a good sized food truck but he's six foot seven yeah so big guy and I wouldn't want to run into him either. So, <laughs> yeah. and when he's charging at you, you just get out of the way. <laughs> so let, let's pretend that you're going to an event tomorrow. Okay, I hope he doesn't charge at me right now. Oh, no. So um, if you're going to an event tomorrow, and let's pretend that it's bright, sunny, early May, that type of weather, how many menu items are you going to have on a on a particular day? What do we run? Ten, include well nine plus drinks. Eight to ten usually is what that we do. That sounds like a lot. I, I thought you were going to say four. You know, keep it simple. Well, we um, due to our awesome education, I think we have learned to cross utilize the products. So. It, we're not as prep heavy. We don't carry as many different ingredients, but we can offer a lot of different things with those. Yeah, and what what she means by cross utilization, which is um, it's it's a key thing. It's if you have forty different ingredients that you're carrying on your truck to do five things, you're never going to sell everything every single event, and so you're going to end up wasting product because pretty much especially with fresh fruits, vegetables, proteins, you know, they have a finite amount of time that they're going to be good and then it's going in the trash. And so by cross utilize, we use, we try to use the same ingredients on as many of the items as we can, but not being overly repetitive. You know, you can't, can't throw cheese sauce on all 10 items. <laughs> I bet somebody does. <laughs> oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we have downsized, I think six is the least number of items we've done for a huge event. And um, we did purple PowerPoint um, or purple power play out in Manhattan and there were several thousand people. And so we dropped our menu down to, I think, five or six items. We made it just, we compressed it to make it easier for us. Well, and you kept those ticket times down and people were happy and people were walking away from your truck smiling instead of being mad 
you know, like they may have been other places. So speaking of ingredients, um, how uh, can you buy in bulk like a restaurant would? And then where do you keep it? Do you have big freezers at home? Because we are an LLC, we are able to get, we can, we can purchase commercially. We go through a large broadline supplier um, similar to Cisco. And yes, we also have a lot of storage. Um, we, have a, we have a deep freeze, a big deep freeze. Um, and we also have four refrigerators, the smaller ones that we just use to hold the product. It's funny that you bring that up. I was thinking about that today. People don't realize that if you go to Restaurant Depot or say your supplier is Cisco and you go buy a case of something like ciabatta, you're going to get you know between 72 and 96 ciabattas. What are you going to do with your ciabatta if you don't have an event for two weeks? It takes a lot of storage. I mean, by the time you have we have we carry three different size baskets: two pound, three pound, and five pound paper baskets. We have a blue checked wrap that goes in them. We carry coffee cups, lids, creamers, swizzle st stirs, as well as we carry 16 ounce clear cups and lids and straws, wrapped forks, spoons, dinner napkins, and all of that stuff. Because we buy it commercially, comes in huge cases. You know, you've got. Oh, I would. I would imagine thousands of cups at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. I mean, everything comes. In especially the the paper goods, it's five hundred or a thousand count, and so you you've got a box that's three foot three foot by three foot by three foot, and where are you going to store all that stuff? Have you ever run out of something when you're at an event? We've come close, which would be a good thing, I guess. You know, mm -hmm. if you're if you sell out, uh, you know, there's no waste with that, and means you're bringing the money in. I think if anything, we prep too heavy sometimes. Yeah, and when she says prep too heavy, like that will, that will, it's it's a fine line. Every restaurant, country club, food truck, it's you're trying to figure out how much food you need to not run out, but not have so much where you're ending up throwing it in the trash. You know, if, if you're in a restaurant and you've got got too many yellow cherry tomatoes, you ordered too many or whatever, well, you can you know, make a roasted yellow tomato sauce and freeze it, or you can run a daily special and get rid of that product. It's mainly with produce for us that, well, we, f we found out that if we buy the produce commercially, it, except when we're doing like the giant events like the Purple Power Play or things of that nature, we end up with too much produce. So after we did that a couple times, we started doing things like purchasing green onions and tomatoes locally and in much smaller quantities and we've adjusted our pars and when i say a par our par is how much of this product we keep on our truck for an event and so we've lowered them but i would say we're we've got we're pretty wired now in terms of how much product we take for an event uh, but definitely man that first event we had we had way too much <laughs> you were over prepared oh yes oh yes okay we had no idea what to expect, so. Well, what's a typical food truck day? Are they all different? I mean, does it depend on the event or is it gonna last 12 hours or three hours? Is there a typical event time? They're all different. I mean, we've done everything from 
farmers markets where we had to get down there at six and open at seven to um, charitable auctions where we started at noon to street festivals but most times it's no it's up to eight maybe 10 hours a day you know sometimes it's five hours five hour event is easy but those <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it but okay <laughs> I don't know how to ask this question. Your power in your water, where does that come from? Do you have running water in your vehicle? I mean, you've got oh, to, yes. I guess. Oh, yes. Do you supply it yourself or does the event supply things? Um, sometimes events will supply electricity. So we've got the truck so we can plug in. Our setup generates so much heat because we have a four foot flat top and we have a four burner stove and we have a fryer which is a lot of trucks don't have the fryers it kicks out a lot of btus of heat in there and after we did our first few events we were like we we got to buy an air conditioner we're actually gonna <laughs> <laughs> and when i say air conditioner don't think like we're living in 72 degree comfort uh, we got the biggest rv air conditioner you could buy and when it's really hot, if it gets it down to 90, we're doing pretty well. I was going to say, you're probably just trying to get in survival mode, not yes. not yes. Uh, not spa mode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's no spa mode ever in the back of a food truck. <laughs> well, you know, steam room, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah <maybe laughs> absolutely. So. And so we have a generator, too. Our generator will actually push 50 amps. So if we can't plug in, we can be completely... That's a big generator. Yeah. So is it gasoline or propane? Gas powered. Okay. We also, you ask about water. Um, we carry about 35 gallons of water in two freshwater tanks on one side of the truck. And then we have a gray water tank. It's the whole truck is plumbed in like an RV, except we also have a three compartment dish sink as required by um, health code. Okay. And we also, besides a three compartment sink, we have a hand washing sink in there. And we also have an instant hot water heater because you have to have hot water that's above 110 degrees to wash your hands, as well as hand sanitizer and soap and a hand towel dispenser as well because hand sanitation is one of the biggest things to preventing, you know, this, you know, foodborne illness. So you got to wash your hands and wash them and wash them and wash them. So there's no bathroom on your truck? No. <laughs> no. It seems like an obvious question that there would not be because of the room and the space and everything. But and, and of course, I guess you are going to places that have a lot of people walking around. So there's going to be Johnny on the spots or whatever. Most times in the summer, it is so hot, though. We we may not go to the bathroom in eight hours and we'll be chugging bottles of water yeah, because you're just sweating it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That originally was one of my requirements when we decided to do a food truck is it needed to have a bathroom on there. But once we got into the logistics of the space, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. If, <laughs> if we had a larger, I mean, yeah, if you had a ginormous truck, you could probably fit a really small bathroom. We are in a four season area. I wonder what the food trucks are like in San Diego, Honolulu. Miami. I mean, that's that's a 12-month business, I guess. Or would you rather not <laughs> no. run the truck 12 months? We have a specific dream, like where we would like to go, where we'd like to ship the truck. And, you know, who knows? You know, dare to dream. But 
Megan knows where. <laughs> okay, well, it'll be a secret to the rest no, of us. Or may, maybe we'll just find you there. <laughs> we want to. We want to go to. We want. We want absolutely want to take it out to Hawaii because um, we have a good friend and his wife that live there, and just the pace of life is more laid back and. Well, who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? You know? I was going to say my <laughs> wife and I have been there many times, and we're the kind of people that when we go somewhere to eat, we'll kind of get the the feel of the room and the servers and all that kind of thing, and then eventually I'll, I will have the servers kind of say, hey, where do you guys go? Where do the servers go when they're off duty? Because that's where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And we did that a lot, and, and we would talk to servers and... And uh, we did talk to one chef and said, where do you guys go? And they would always say pretty much the same thing. There's always a hangout where the kitchen and, and the servers go. Did you do that also when you guys were in that business? Um, we- <laughs> oh yeah, when we, were, when we were working in kitchens and restaurants, definitely. It's usually the restaurant next door from where you're working. <laughs> we were about where you are. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and is that part of that camaraderie and that, that uh, connection that you get with people? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we, uh, we drank a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's part of the business from what I, what I understand as well. I mean, that and in even more than alcohol, just because of the, the stress and the pressure the age of the people is kind of conducive to that, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. Definitely. Oh. And more in the front of the house, um, depending on where you're at, it's usually younger staff. And the kitchen is, again, depends on where, you at, where you're at, but usually it's older, a uh, little more mature in the back of the house. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, this right here. But <laughs> exceptions are to be made. Uh, but... Uh, I think usually the back of the house hangs out more together and then the front of the house is more together. Sometimes they'll blend, but really depends on the restaurant or the environment that you're in. Is the front and the back at odds a lot? Or, you know, those, they're your enemy or uh, they're not helping you enough or, not, not to be negative, I'm just saying, you know, what's the personality of those two positions? Well, since I've worked in both, I feel like the back of the house is working constantly. You're always on your feet. You're always doing something. And you see the front of the house up there who are sitting down, rolling silverware, usually working four to six hour shifts while, while you're back there. They're walking away with a, usually quite a bit more money than you are. So if they're not doing their job properly, it's easier to to let them know. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're being very diplomatic. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's never, it's not us against them. It's just, it's exactly what she said. Nothing will grind a good service to a halt quicker than tickets rung in wrong and you've sent the food and a server comes back with the plate. Hey, I rang this in. You know, I don't, I don't need this cheeseburger. I need, you know, I need a scallop plate and whatever. And you're just like, you know, you're, oh, you're a well done steak. That's going to take 22 minutes on the grill. A, a restaurant. It is so true. It's, it's a symphony because there are so many working parts of things that all have to work correctly for the food to get out to the tables and to get and all of the food on one table 
ordered in, prepared, plated, sent out, dropped off at a table, and then to do that over and over and over, especially in big restaurants, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a unique environment and there's a lot of things that can go wrong real quick and turn a good night into, into a disaster. And I gotta tell you, the one person that can sink a, a good dining service is the host. If you're seating the entire restaurant at once, the kitchen can't make every dinner at once. So it needs to be timed out. And if you don't have a, a good host, watch out. <laughs> well, and Megan, you used as, a, as an example, a, someone ordered a well-done steak. Well, there's your problem right there. A well-done steak? No, exactly, no, no, no. exactly. Not in this town. <laughs> I've heard it happen, but I'm I'm just making a joke about my preference for rare and medium rare. But uh, but We're I know right people. We're right there with you. I, <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> At one point, you mentioned you were thinking about this food truck idea about five years ago. Whose idea was it first, or is it the chicken and the egg? Oh, it was definitely John's idea first. He had to get me on board with it. I after so how did he do that? Um ooh, convincing me that he could build a good quality sanitary food truck was was how he got me on board and that we could both uh, realize our dreams with it and have a lot of fun working together again. Those were those were the ways he convinced me. So you started in kitchens together a long time ago and then had that opportunity and then you were not together for a while and well we didn't work together we've been together i mean at, do you mean like as a couple or? i thought you guys worked in a kitchen together we did yes we okay. um so we met in college doing the apprenticeship program um almost wow over god over a decade ago and we didn't 15 talk years ago or so maybe oh, we seriously. didn't talk for the first couple of years <laughs> yeah we like literally like we didn't talk to each other for the first couple of years and then we became friends and because then, you were just people in the same class and didn't know there was any connection there or whatever mm -hmm. so you were just classmates uh, yep i was almost done with school when she started because we're, we're what are we 14 years apart in age and but then we became friends and all of a sudden wow, I love this woman. And uh, we just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary and we will have been together for 10 years in December. And uh, how many of those are truck years? How long have you had the truck actually operating? This, this is our first, first year. Okay. So, so uh, quick backstory. So we were both working full time as this project unfolded and trying to raise our two-year-old and we sat down and we, we had many, many conversations because Megan was making really good money at her job. And we decided that we were gonna have to make a commitment. After we did an event or two, we were like, okay, if, if, if she doesn't leave her job and focus and trying to build the business, this is gonna be a once a month, you know, we'll, do one event a month and then we'll go back to our jobs. So we're both working, you know, full time. And I was work, you know, I work, prof I'm not going to inflate it, but I work about 50 hours a week as an average week. I mean, it's not super bad. That's one of those benefits when you become an exec, you don't work quite as much as you did. 
Um, but we were like, we're going to do one event a month and this truck is just going to sit here or let's go all in. So we knew we needed to take a leap and get moving on it or it was just going to sit in our driveway forever. So So. at at one point it was the hobby truck and now it's a business truck. Correct. Because of your decisions. Okay. Mm -hmm. It, yeah. And it was, it was a little scary. I mean, you know, it was, you know, to take that leap leap because we, we don't have any experience running a small business. We didn't. I mean, we've always worked for large and larger companies. I mean, our careers have always been pretty good about that. You know, when you have a family, I mean, benefits and financial security is pretty, you know, I mean, it's, it's important, especially when you have a small child. So it was, it was pretty scary. Cause I mean, I worry about money a lot. I'm kind of manic, <laughs> you know, about that. And, but if we hadn't taken that leap, we wouldn't be where we've, we've set ourselves up by busting our hump this last six months. And especially after she left her job to where when we hit 2020, we have already built up a big enough following and we've, we are a proven product and people love the food that we do and the atmosphere and, you know, even our name, I mean, eat Schmidt. I mean, our last name is Schmidt and we've been called everything that rhymes with <laughs> Schmidt for, you know, forever. So, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek and it's fun, but we've got, we've got a good concept and, and we're set up really for by the end of 2020, we're going to have way more business than we can do. I mean, for not being in this business that long, things have turned out better than I think that we thought they thought they would. Um, yeah, it well, was kind of scary. I, I'm really happy for you both and very excited. And I have had your product and it was amazing. And well, thank I, you. We're thank glad you. you enjoyed. I will, we will have more. My wife and I visited your truck and that's how this whole thing started. So thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to seeing you wherever I can find you. We are on Facebook. Our website's going to be up and running within the next couple of months. So you can check us out on that and come eat Schmidt. Is it eat Schmidt on Facebook? Is that Mm -hmm. what it is? All one word? Uh, Space in between. Okay, very Mm -hmm. good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.